who wouldn't be passionate about climate change these days? I know we have a solution. I know this works. Hi, I'm Emily Bonney, the CEO of the Investment Banking Institute, and you are listening to the Hurdle Rate Podcast. The Hurdle Rate Podcast is an opportunity to engage in important and enlightening conversations with women in finance and business. The podcast aims to elevate and empower women in this space, bringing voice to the stories behind their successes. Success can come in many forms, and for serial entrepreneurs, success can evolve and change over time and is often multifaceted, spanning across different verticals. But what is at the heart of what motivates that spirit of entrepreneurship and innovation? In this episode, I am joined by Beth McDaniel. Beth McDaniel is co-founder and president of the award-winning paint and coatings company, Reactive Surfaces, where she also serves as legal counsel. She is also a partner in McDaniel and Associates, a law firm specializing in patent and trade secret law. Her legal practice is focused on contracts, business administration, innovation, and entrepreneurship. As a serial entrepreneur, she is guided by this bleeding edge innovation company operating the paint and coatings and specialty chemical industries for the past 15 years. She has served in leadership roles for numerous organizations, including serving as a Pathways to Peace Fellow, a premier social justice organization. Her work in the area of human rights and social justice brings a level of experience and intention to ensuring that any climate solution has at its heart environmental justice and enhancement of human rights and personal livelihood. She brings the same dedication to her family, including her two children and grandchildren. Well, just wow, Beth. I'm going to pause there to say thank you for joining the conversation today. Well, thank you for having me, Emily. When I hear that, when I hear someone go on about about me, it's so embarrassing because I'm also just a regular, regular girl over here. (laughs) Well, it's interesting that you say that, Beth, because later in the show, I do want to get to that idea of what motivates you, um, because I think it is inspiring for us as women to see women, regular women, as maybe you would put it, doing big things in entrepreneurship, tech, business, finance, and coupling that with other priorities like family or other causes like your area um, of work in human rights and social justice. So we're going to get to that later, but let's start here. You're a woman entrepreneur in the biotech space. Tell me about your business, Reactive Surfaces. Reactive Surfaces is actually a commingling of a couple different scientific disciplines, that of biotechnology and material science. Now, we're in the paint and coatings space. Most people have never really thought about paints and coatings. Uh, it helps to think about them a little bit more broadly than what you're used to. So um, um, we, um, you think normally you think about paints on walls, but, but coatings are just paints without color. And um, coatings are on nearly every man-made item that you see, okay? So a look around you in your room and you'll, you know, there's coatings on the floor. Um, there's coatings with, on, the, on your eyeglasses, on your computer screen, on, on, every, on your desk, on everything, okay? On your clothing even. And so everything is coated in some point in its manufacturing process. If that coating has color in it, then it's a paint. 
And what we do is we innovate in that paint and coating space and try to bring nature's functionality into paints and coatings. So typically paints and coatings are there to either um, decorate a surface with color or to protect it, like I was just talking about in the manufacturing process. And the third dimension that we add to it is, is functionality. Um, other paint companies have added functionality before. That's not our innovation. But what our innovation is that's unique is that we pull from nature. We add natural functionality. So we look to biomolecules, things like enzymes and peptides that have, that have a functionality in nature. Um, and we harness that and entrain that into a coating system, which we know how to work with and make it, make it uh, adaptable to, to a, a biomolecule doing its thing within that coating system. And then you can take that coating and um, spread it on surfaces and you have a functional surface that, that reacts to its environment in some way or another. It might help to give an example of that because people are probably just scratching their head going, what? Because I always say the paint industry is the biggest industry no one's really ever thought of before. But what um, an example of that, what we do is um, there's, for instance, a um, there are peptides that are antimicrobial in nature. These peptides are things that are all over your body all the time. They're strings of proteins. And so they're, they're all over your body. They're naturally occurring and you're you're, you're coming into contact with them all the time. And so they're, they're completely non-toxic. Using that, we put those into a paint. And for instance, when we spread that on a surface, that coating system will break down or will kill bacteria, uh, viruses. They will detoxify the virus and other things like algaes and fungi and mold on that surface. And you say that sounds you know, kind of like Lysol, the difference is Lysol is a disinfectant and coatings stay, a disinfectant is a one-time use thing, okay? And so you spray it and then once that's, that surface is fouled again, then it would have to get sprayed again. A coating system with these natural biomolecules that I'm speaking of would remain um, active and functional on that surface for as long as the paint was there. Paint lasts a pretty long time. So generally, that's what we do. We have antimicrobial additives. We have additives that are enzymatic that perform a different function, breaking down greases, fats, and oils on the surface. We have uh, military products that break down chemical warfare weapons like, like sarin gas and Russian VX um, on surfaces. So there's a variety of different what we call platform technologies um, in which we develop that different industries might pull from for different applications. What we can offer is a surface that, that let's say the antimicrobial surface that might be used in a, obviously a hospital uh, surgical center would be a great place for, to use that, um, including like even on um, small medical devices that are inserted into the body, those things have a coating on them. Um, it could be used in a locker room or in your kitchen. So there's a lot of different, a wide variety of, you know, applications and industries that might pull from that, 
from that technology. And that's why we call them platform technologies. We first started talking, I did think about, you know, paint and coatings. And you're thinking about those typical um, areas where you would put paint in your home, on the outside of your home. And that alone seemed really cool. The thought of um, adding a, a, a sustainable, environmentally friendly or a carbon capture coating to your home, that, that initial thought, I was like, wow, you're right. Like, the biggest industry nobody has ever thought about. And even though this podcast isn't specifically a tech podcast, it's certainly a podcast focused on innovation, leadership, success, women being agents of change. And I'm fascinated by this technology of reactive surfaces. And before we sort of dive into the next piece of this puzzle, which is your life as an entrepreneur, you sort of gave, gave us little tidbits about the technology and some potential uses. Are there any specific areas that you're particularly excited about? It sounds like there's uses sort of on the microeconomic level in homes, but also at these macroeconomic levels um, and, uh, you know, things like the military and um, medical and healthcare fields. Is there a particular area that you see a, a ton of benefits and really a need for some powerful solutions? Definitely, yes. Um, good question, but I will roll back a little bit because I want to make something clear. Because um, what I didn't talk about when I just went on about the platform technologies is the carbon capture technology. And so if I could just add in to one of those other platform technologies that we have is carbon capture coatings. And that entails not an enzyme or a peptide as an additive, but a real organism, single cell bacteria or an algae. And the functionality that we derive from that, just so your, your listeners understand, is photosynthesis. Because what photosynthesis does is pulls down CO2 from the, from the air, along with the help of sunlight and, and water and nutrients, and then it, and then it releases oxygen and, and glucose. But what it's doing is pulling down CO2. So what we've developed in this paint innovation company is a paint that captures carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and fixes it in the paint. That's the functionality of the carbon capture coatings platform technology. I completely agree with you that pe people do, have never thought about it. And so what, are, what we look for though in the innovation space is that we're hoping that people will start to have expectations and, and expectations of, of um, health and non-toxicity and safety also. Um, where they would want natural materials in their in their spaces. To answer your question that you just asked, it really kind of depends on which technology we're talking about. Um, but if we focus on carbon capture co coatings, because that's kind of um, a lot of our focus right now, given the, the urgency of the climate change situation, there's so many places to get started, but the urgency is very, very compelling and the breadth of the problem. And if you really start digging into climate change, you realize that we don't have too much time to really take some very significant actions um, and measurable actions that have to happen or we're gonna pass up a point of no return and we're not gonna be happy about that. And so um, there's all sorts of, for carbon capture coatings there, what I would do is implement it as, um, we want to implement the technology as as much as we can as quickly as we can and not just our technology any carbon capture technology 
um, that, that really does ca capture CO2 from the air. There's so, such a big problem that there's plenty of space for, for other technologies. So no one's here knocking those other technologies. We want them on board, believe me. But where we need to start is pulling down a lot of CO2. And the way that we do that and what's great about paint and the re, you know, what your listeners might be thinking is why put it in a paint? Algae already does this in nature. One of the things is paint is um, lightweight and it adheres well to surfaces. We all know this. And um, so you can see paint at the top, the, the top of the tallest buildings, right? It doesn't fall off. So we can use vertical surfaces because frankly, all the algae and all of the, um, the soils that are pulling down CO2 and all, all of nature's natural methods for pulling down CO2 are taking place. There are, and we're still, we still need to do more, okay? So they're working as hard as they can and they're working on all the lateral surfaces on earth. The whole ocean is covered in algae. All of our land is covered in, in soils that are pulling down CO2. They're also releasing CO2 at the same time though, okay? And that's where paint comes in, is it does, we can design that coating system so it doesn't re-release into the atmosphere and hold it until we're ready to do something with that CO2. And we can go vertically. So um, what we've designed are, is a modular system that's filled with painted surface Okay, as much painted surface as we can put into a module to do the work of photosynthesis. And so that's probably the first thing that we should do is just try to be pulling down as much po as possible. But then we're also working on designing a paint that would go on the outside of your building, you know, but it's, it's kind of secondary to the need. And so we're trying to also help uh, industrial uh, emitters that are emitting a lot of CO2 we can take that CO2, pipe it into our modules. Guess what algae really love? CO2, okay? It only makes our system work a lot better to pipe in a whole bunch of CO2. So then we get going real, the reactions are really fast. That's what we're real passionate about doing. And then the other thing would be to take these modules and be able to sell them to an end user and put those in your backyard and start taking care of your own carbon footprint. Beth, this is, again, so fascinating. And one of the things that is so invigorating about this is that global climate change, these environmental issues, even these health issues seem so big. And this solution seems so tangible. Um, it, as you're talking about it, we can, we can see the applications, we can see it, we can feel it. And then, you know, that last piece of the puzzle that you mentioned, that there could be an application for each of us to use the solution to really work on our individual carbon footprints is, is really exciting. And part of the reason why I, I'm just so fascinated by this technology, um, we could probably spend hours talking about this technology, the solutions it brings across, you know, multiple platforms, as you mentioned. But we're going to sort of take a turn here and, and talk about your life as an entrepreneur. I mean, you're doing some big work on some big, big problems and trying to come up with solutions for that. And as a woman running a science and technology company, what do you feel has been one of your biggest accomplishments as an entrepreneur? Bringing this technology forward into the space in which we've um, been operating was an accomplishment in itself because sometimes when you have an idea, and I happen to be married to the, the chief innovation officer for this company, okay? He's the one that thought all this up. He's a brainiac, 
kind of biotech savant, if you will, okay? I mean, he really is. And so that's my husband. I mean, he's not, he's, he's a brain at a lot of things. Not everything, but he's super, super smart at this. <laughs> and I, yeah, we recognized that he had a good idea. And I mean, this was, he had several good ideas. Our coatings company goes back two decades. So we've, we've been operating for about 20 years in this space. Getting these solutions out to the public and let, and having people understand them, most of the time we're dealing with paint companies. That's our client, okay, because we design um, and develop coding systems. And so, um, you know, we're usually licensing those to paint companies. But it's always like, it's, it's no one had ever done it before. And so it was really hard to get them to understand. It took years, frankly, for the coatings industry to understand that we're going to put biologicals into paint. For instance, the reason why is because in the history of coating systems, you always tried, they always tried to keep biologicals out of their paint because they would cause, cause spoilage. And so there was just this, this paradigm in coatings to keep biologicals out. We shifted that and turned it on its head and said, no, we're going to put them in and we're going to derive, we're going to control them and we're going to derive some sort of functionality from them. And um, so that took a long time. But I guess finally we're there, you know, like people know who we are in the industry. That was kind of what my job was as I'm the business development person and Steve, my husband, is um you know like chief innovation officer so he's in charge of our labs and stuff like that and i'm doing more of the administrative and business development type work kind of i i can i think of myself kind of as a translator because some of these people are so scientific and they need someone to kind of translate to the average you know, person, what it is that we're doing, and kind of put it all together. Um, I love the division of labor there. Um, and like you said, your um, sounds like your husband has, uh, you know, amazing ideas in a lot of areas and to sort of find your niches to, to create this successful company. Um, I love hearing that. And I also love anything that turns an industry on its head so that, you know, being able to, to create this new technology and then again, be a, a, a agent of change in a field is really exciting. Is there something that has surprised you the most as an entrepreneur? What I've been surprised about is that you can come up with a solution that's so good, that's so, that works completely and it works better than the competitive technologies. And it doesn't always, you can't always just sell it just because you have something better. There's, I can give a multitude of, you know, examples of technologies that we've developed that, that empirically, you know, if you just judge them data-wise, are, are superior to the competitive technology, but that doesn't mean that you can sell it to somebody. Kind of a downer. I hate to be that way, but it is kind of a downer. <laughs> well, I, I think, Beth, that's a great point. And actually, for me, sort of does the reverse versus being a downer is that sometimes you do create the best product out there with empirical evidence and in its case scenarios really does the best job at, at, at what it should be doing and doesn't mean it always sells and certainly frustrating, but I think that empowers some of us um, on that entrepreneurial side that it doesn't necessarily mean the product 
is bad. Certainly you want to sell it as an entrepreneur, but being able to sort of overcome that hump and to keep innovating and to keep pushing forward, I think it does the reverse for me than maybe what you would have anticipated, that <laughs> you can create a great product and that's not the only thing for good or for bad um, that sells it. And that that kind of brings me to this next point that we we sort of alluded to in the beginning where I think for women, it is inspiring for us and motivating to see other women doing the things, right? All that you're doing in your career, in business, the influence you're having over this space, this technology, hopefully global climate change, while having other priorities like family and those other causes that you have focus on. What is it that motivates you each day, day in and day out to get up and do what you're doing? If you're working in a field that you're passionate about and, you know, who wouldn't be passionate about climate change these days, you know, I mean, then that is a motivating, like, I, I know we have a solution. I know this works. As far as our climate change solution is what the one, I mean, the other ones work too, but then what I'm talking about and what, you know, we were focusing on is climate change. And, um, and I know the urgency of the situation and how big it is. And so I feel like, I don't know, it's weird. I'm the youngest in, in my family and I was always, I always felt like a kid and all of a sudden I'm, I'm 56 years old and I, I feel like I'm the adult in the room and like, I've got to do this, you know? And, and I kind of feel guilty about my generation was kind of the generation that put us, or maybe could have done more earlier, you know, to, um, to slow things down. And so I feel a little responsible as well. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I'm passionate about that. I'm passionate about human rights. I mean, that's why I've always kind of woven in um, something that I pa I'm passionate about into everything that I do. Um, and you can't, n not every job will allow you to do that. Sometimes you just got to do it on the side, you know, but I always have to have something that I'm like deeply passionate about that I'm working on. And it helps me every day, you know, along with, you know, the, the relationships of family and friends and, you know, taking care of your elders and all of that, that you, you do anyway. I hear the passion, the, you know, responsibility, accountability, the, the need for solutions. Um, and it's, it, it sounds more like a, a calling than a choice that sort of keeps you, you know, doing what you're doing. And certainly along the way, there are challenges, you know, for, for any of us in any space and, you know, any part of our careers, there are obstacles and challenges. When you look at the, the trajectory of an entrepreneur, it's not an easy road, right? It's, it's wrought with um, daily, yearly and multi-yearly obstacles, challenges, and that sort of like drive to push ahead. Was there any point where you, you got to, where you looked in the rearview mirror and you were like, wow, I've overcome either one great obstacle or wow, I've really stepped up to multiple challenges. Yeah. It kind of seems like that every day. <laughs> um, and then setbacks, you know, at the same time, it just seems like there's, you know, two steps forward sometimes and three steps back. Sometimes you get, you get three steps forward and two steps back. Money has always been an obstacle. And so it's hard not to mention it. And when you're talking about entrepreneurship is that, you know, money um, is the biggest obstacle because 
like I said, you know, sometimes we're being paid to do the work that we do. Sometimes we're approached and, you know, we, we, someone wants us to develop something, but, and then other times we just see um, a space that we could fill with our innovation and we go ahead and we, we take it up on our own, you know, and of course climate change is, you know, hugely important and we just felt like we needed to dedicate our resources to it, but money is the biggest challenge. And I guess um, what I've overcome in, in that regard is just learning how to moving things around and making it happen regardless and just getting really, really lean. So like our operations and our business, um, we have a full lab in that operates in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, which is a alongside a paint and polymer university department. Having all of these employees and stuff like that, when you're not necessarily taking in the money, you know, I mean, a lot of companies just operate on whatever they're receiving. And so we're we're operating at a net loss because we have to in order to develop this and then eventually be able to sell it. And hopefully it'll be a home run, you know, in both, uh, you know, efficacy and um, financially. Um, but I guess the biggest obstacle is we could have been and maybe we should have been shut down a long time ago if it were just based on whether we had enough money to run this. But but we've learned how to move things around and and how to keep the keep things going and get really lean and in the end i think that will benefit us because you know we have a lot of part-time people for instance that that do as much work as as most full-time workers that i know you know you just get really good at what you do when you don't have enough, that much money then you have to get really surgical about how you do things and it kind of makes you better and Beth, I, I appreciate the candor on that front because I do think that's often a part that's sort of skirted around or missed because it is exciting to focus on the accomplishments, but that the money challenges, I do, you know, I agree with you completely that they do bring about creative solutions and really pushing your ability to innovate Um you know, being able to operate on a lean budget, be conscious of where you're spending money, taking uh, mitigated risks on where you want the company to go. That is a part of the life as an entrepreneur and is an important piece of the puzzle to, to keep um, working through. So I, I really do appreciate the candor on that front. And to go along with that, do you have any advice, tips, or tricks for any you know, other woman entrepreneur, really entrepreneurs in general? Don't be put off by the fact that it, it's not, um, that whatever your innovation is or whatever you're selling is not immediately accepted into the space that you're interested in. Um, it might be applicable in a space that you're not even aware of. Um, and we found that, you know, I mean, we developed self-cleaning coatings, enzymatic self-cleaning coatings. And, and um, we, we were expecting to use them mostly in, in kitchen type areas and restaurants. And we found a lot of different uses for them. But, but I remember getting a call from a company that builds sewer pipes. And you know, those big fatbergs that develop in, in, um, in the, um, in the ocean, I think. And they, you, you've seen them before. They're just nasty and they come out of the sewer and, um, they wanted that, that for their 
sewer pipes. They wanted our, and we had never thought about that before. So in other words, there might be something there that you're not even thinking about that you don't even know is, is out there. Don't make that a, a reason not to develop if it doesn't slot in perfectly into where you originally thought, because there might be another use. Um, and then I would also say like kind of what we touched on before, you know, if you've got passion about something, then it really helps to keep you going and, um, keep you getting up every day to do that. And especially if you can pull together some, you know, a variety of different passions. So for instance, my area of, um, human rights work was, um, to help prevent genocide. And that, I don't, I never knew what really drew me into that, but I was drawn into it and I felt very passionate about it. And I did a lot of work on it for about a decade. And um, then I, uh, there were a number of different reasons why I kind of veered away, but mostly because we decided to take on this carbon capture coatings and this climate change solution. And then when I did that and I started digging in so much to climate change and learning so much about it, I realized that if we don't do something about climate change, then there will be more genocide in the world because of just complete shifting migration patterns and, and civil unrest and all of those things that I had been studying for so long. And so it was just like, it became even, it amplified my need to do it even more. And then, you know, I just, I like kids a lot and stuff like that. So um, that, that also is motivating, but I guess, yeah, find something that really motivates you and, um, you know, but entrepreneurs usually are motivated by what their, you know, idea is. And so, you know, but you just kind of have to keep it up and keep up that passion. Keeping that wide lens in the business. And then, as you mentioned, um, you know, that wider lens in your life in general, how these things, these passions and these verticals interact and how to be a part of the solution. And Beth, um, my last question for you is, wow, this is some really interesting stuff. If people are looking to find out more about your company, all that you're doing, where can they find you? They can find me on LinkedIn or um, Reactive Surfaces. It's reactivesurfaces.com. And that's surfaces like the surface of a table, not services. And there you'll, if you go into the technology um, section, you'll see all those different platform technologies that I was referring to, including carbon capture coatings. Well, Beth, I'll make sure to include all of that information in the description of the podcast. Thank you so much for joining the Hurdle Rate Podcast. Thank you, Emily. I really appreciate you and your listeners. And again, I'm Emily Advani. Tune in next time as we try to answer what is the minimum return we expect from the investment in ourselves and one another.